Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Uh, Today we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're continuing this series that we started about seven weeks ago called Stuff Every Christian Should Know. But we're in Ephesians 5 today. We're talking about living with the filling of the Holy Spirit. I call this message Turnover Control. And you'll figure out the significance of the title as we go along. Uh, Before we dive into this passage, though, let me give you some background here, uh, some context. Uh, The book of Ephesians is an epistle, a letter. In it, uh, Paul discusses how God has taken astounding measures to redeem believers for His own glory. And in this letter, Paul includes a whole lot of stuff about the Christian life, about how and why believers should live. And in here, in chapter 5, we find instructions for the pursuit of wise living, Uh, encouragements to understand what God's will is, the commandment to be filled with the Spirit, uh, to worship in song, to give thanks to God in in everything. And we'll explore those thoughts a, a little bit later. But Paul's saying that because the new life in Christ is superior to that old way of life, then Christians should should aggressively pursue that new life that God offers us in Christ. And this is a life that is walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's really the context for what we're going to talk about today. So if you got the place in Ephesians chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse 15. Ephesians 5 verse 15. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. How many times in the Christian life do we kind of wring our hands trying to figure out what God's will is for our life? One of the best ways to discover that is to explore the things in the Scripture that explicitly say uh, is God's will for us. For example, in this passage, it's uh, very specific that uh, God's will for us is to be filled with the Spirit. It says there in verse 18. Okay? So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the filling of the Spirit is, it's a profound reality in the believer's life. And understanding what that means can radically change the way we live. Now, there's a bit of uh, confusion regarding terminology. You know, you got, uh, okay, we've got filled with the Spirit, Uh, indwelled by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, baptism of the Spirit. It can be a little confusing. Now, Jesus talked about the baptism of the Spirit uh, shortly before He ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 1. 
uh, he mentions the baptism of the Spirit. And this was really a foreshadowing of what was going to come in Acts chapter 2 with the pouring out of the Spirit there at Pentecost, and then later with Gentile believers in Acts chapter 10. Here's the thing about that, okay, and I'm just going to give you a quick uh, biblical interpretation lesson in the book of Acts. Acts is uh, it's historical narrative, but it's very difficult sometimes to interpret for the reader today because it's hard to discern between the things in that book that are descriptive meaning they just describe the way God worked in the church in that day, and prescriptive, things were, that were intended for the church in all ages. And so things that you see in the book of Acts, and, and of course it's the Acts of the Apostle, I think to be more precise we should probably call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles, because it's all about the, the Holy Spirit and how He worked in the uh, first century church, the establishing of the Christian church. And uh, anyway, the way we interpret things can be difficult, including our, our understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, the way the believers received the Holy Spirit in the infancy of the church is not one of those things that's normative today. It's purely descriptive. The way the Spirit moved in many cases was just a validation of the apostles' ministry in the first century church not to be meant for all, cha uh, all churches at all times. I digress. So there's a lot of accounts in Acts where you know, there are prescriptive things. But uh, one of the things that we need to understand is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that places the believer into union with Christ and into union with other believers in the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. Now, it's what we would also call the indwelling of the Spirit. That when we profess Christ, when we trust Him for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And Paul, writing to Roman Christians in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he says to them that you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. In other words, if you don't have the Spirit... You don't know Christ. Or the inverse is true. If you don't know Christ, you don't have the Spirit. Those things are tied together, uh, permanently connected. Ephesians chapter 1, going back a few chapters, Paul writes in verses 13 and 14 that in Him, meaning in Christ, you also were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance, Paul says. So, that tells me a couple of things. Number one, we receive the fullness of the Spirit at the moment of salvation. But it also says that we're sealed by that Spirit. That means once we're sealed by Him, once we have that down payment, we're saved. We're always saved. No one can pluck us from His hand. But some of the confusion comes from different semantics, uh, different labels, and those labels are often determined by your denominational heritage or maybe even your generation. But you know what? The, the, the terminology is not important. Okay? What is important is that you get it, <laughs> that you understand it. You see, being filled with the Spirit, it's not simply having the fullness of the Spirit abiding in me. I mean, that's, that's the indwelling of the Spirit. 
being filled with the Spirit is that transition from the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit to His anointing presence in and upon my life. It's, it's not you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit getting all of you. That's what it's all about. So there's a Baptist theologian named Herschel Hobbes, and he did a great job of illustrating the difference between the, the, uh, the indwelling of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. He wrote, the New Testament speaks of Christians being both indwelled and filled by the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between the two. Through its wiring system, a building may be indwelled by electricity. It is filled with its power only as it is allowed to work through electrical appliances, light bulbs, motors, and the like. Well, at the moment of regeneration, the moment that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, when you profess Christ, at the moment of regeneration, the Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can read more about that in John 14, 17. But the individual is filled by the Spirit when he yields his life to the Spirit's direction and power. If you wish to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must yield your body, your total self to Him that He might work in and through you. That's what it's about, yielding to His leadership. D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist back in the 19th century, American evangelist. He was invited to come and preach a revival meeting in England. Well, some of the folks over in England weren't too keen on that idea, and there was a, an elderly English pastor who protested, saying, Why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated, inexperienced. Who does he think he is, anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And a, a wiser pastor rose and replied, No, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. See, that's what being filled with the Spirit is all about. See, the biggest key to unlocking the filling of the Spirit, and I want you to get this. I mean, if you get nothing else from this message today, get this, because this is the big idea. The biggest key to unlocking the filling of the Spirit is submission. Submission to the Holy Spirit's control. We turn control of our lives over to Him. All right, now, having said that very lengthy introduction, let's get into the text. You probably thought, I, thought I'd forgotten about the text, right? Yeah, we're actually going to study the text. So, I want to focus on this passage to better explain how the Holy Spirit impacts the way we live and how allowing the Spirit to lead will change our lives. So, three specific things I want you to get. All right, here's the first one. It's the reasons for a Spirit-filled life. The reasons for a Spirit-filled life. If you got the outline, fill it in. Reasons for a Spirit-filled life. The first one is, and this is probably the most obvious, obedience. Obedience. We see that clearly in verse 18. God has commanded us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I already gave you a biblical interpretation lesson. Let me give you a quick Greek lesson. And I know you're not groaning outwardly. Some of you are groaning inwardly. Why? Why with the Greek again? Uh, actually, in this case, it's, it's, very, it's very crucial to understanding what's being said here. So, I'll try to keep it simple. You know, here's the thing about Greek. If you take a couple semesters of Greek, you'll know more about English grammar than you ever learned in high school. I'm telling you. 
In fact, if you ever want to learn, I'll be happy to tutor you. Okay, so it says be filled with the Spirit. Okay, that, that verb there for be filled is pleruste in the Greek. Don't write that down. Not important to remember. Pleruste. What's important is that it is a present passive imperative in the, uh, in the uh, second person plural. Okay, now you understand all the person stuff. First person, I, we, second person, you, third person, uh, he, she, they. Okay, second person plural. Now, if you wanted to translate it, that into Texarkansan, that would be y'all. <laughs> y'all be filled with the Spirit. But it's not just that, it's, it's plural. You know, it's everybody at the church of, at, at Ephesus. In fact, you know, Paul probably didn't understand how far-reaching the effects of his teaching would be that the Holy Spirit intended for this teaching to be for all churches in all ages. So it's not just y'all be filled with the Spirit, it's all y'all be filled with the Spirit. So it's second person plural. Everybody. Okay? So it's a present passive imperative. The present tense means an ongoing continuous action in the present. The passive voice means that I'm the one being acted upon. I'm not the one actually doing the acting. I'm being acted upon by the Holy Spirit. And then the imperative mood very simply means it's a command. It's a command. Not a suggestion, not a request, a command. It's an imperative that we be filled with the Spirit. God commands it. So, Continually being filled with the Spirit, that's not an option for a believer. That is a biblical mandate. Constantly, moment by moment, be controlled by and filled with the Holy Spirit. Christian, are you, are you continually being filled by the Spirit? Does the Spirit of God control you moment by moment? That's what all that Greek gobbledygook actually meant. It's a command. We're supposed to be doing it all the time. So we'll talk more about what all that means as we go on. So there's obedience as the first and most obvious reason for being filled with the Spirit. There's also obligation. Now before I dive into this, let, let me make something clear. There is absolutely nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation, to earn eternal life. There's no amount of works that we could ever accomplish to really pay Jesus back for what he did for us on the cross. There's not. And so I'm not speaking of obligation in that sense because we just can't do it. We can't pay him back. I'm speaking of responsibilities that we have in the Christian life. Believers have tremendous responsibilities that they must fulfill. And I want to focus on about four of them here, okay? Real quickly. First of all, we have an obligation in our worship life. To live a life of worship and honor to God. We talked about that extensively two weeks ago in the message then. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your hearts to the Lord. There's an obligation there to be Spirit-filled uh, because of our worship life. Now, when we worship that way, I mean, when we are filled with the Spirit, we become alive with joy and with the reality of Christ in our lives. And it's an overflow 
It's just an overflow. It's a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit. You remember uh, two weeks ago in the, the Sermon on Worthy Worship, we talked about Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and how he tells her God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. So we have an obligation in our worship life. We also have an obligation in our wedded life. An obligation in our wedded life. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, you recall from our study two weeks ago when we talked about, when the Bible talks about fear, it almost always means a reverential awe. Because of that reverential awe we have for Christ, we submit to one another. Now, he's speaking to the church there, but it dovetails right into that passage where Paul talks about Christian marriages and uh, leadership in the Christian home. Uh, the Bible tells us that success in marriage comes from putting your spouse first. And you'll recall what it says in, in uh, verses 21 and 22. Um, you know, submitting to one another out of fear for Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then a few verses later, it says, Let each individual among you also love his wife even as himself. And let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Some of us don't like that passage when we read it. <laughs> I think it's because we misunderstand it. Submission here doesn't mean blind obedience. It means a voluntary attitude of cooperation. Well, that voluntary attitude of cooperation, that love, that submission cannot be displayed apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have an obligation in our worship life. We have an obligation in our wedded life. We have an obligation in our work life. I mean, think about it. When an employer goes to the employment agency looking for new workers, ideally, he ought to be asking for Christians because ideally, they're the ones that have the greatest work ethic. They work the hardest. They have the best attitudes. They work with a, a Colossians 3.23 attitude. Whatever you do. Do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. Well, that's the King James translation. Your modern translation will say something like, you know, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, you know, working for the Lord and not for men, something to that effect. But there's an obligation in your work life. There's also an obligation in your warfare life. Your warfare life. Uh, one chapter over, Ephesians chapter 6 Paul talks about spiritual warfare and how to defend ourselves. In verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, church, this war that Paul is talking about cannot be fought in the flesh. Our fight... Okay, believe it or not, our fight is not with the IRS, all right? It's not with Antifa. You know, it's not with the Republicans. It's not with the Democrats. It's not with the Libertarians. <laughs> our fight is a fight to the finish against a sinister foe. And there are no holds barred. So how can we withstand that? How can we withstand satanic opposition? Only by being filled with the Spirit. That's where it begins. So, reasons for being filled with the Spirit. Okay, obedience, obligations. Here's a third one. Opportunities. 
Look at what Paul says in verse 16. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. Making the most, meaning literally to gain advantage. Uh, even more literally, buying back the time. That's why some of the uh, older translations like King James or New King James will say redeeming the time because the days are evil. We're buying back the time. We're, we're making the most of it. And you know that verse is a reminder to us that we're to use our time and use our opportunities wisely. Evil times call for spirit-filled people. And think about the golden opportunities that we let slip through our fingers when the Holy Spirit is not allowed to be in control of our lives. You know, while Christians should want to be filled with the Spirit to have power in serving, what often happens is they want to be filled with the Spirit to have pleasure in living. Or as the late Adrian Rogers would say, they see the Spirit-filled life as a source for enjoyment rather than a force for employment. But you see, some of Jesus' final words before He ascended into heaven, Acts 1.8, He tells us one of the main reasons why we have the Holy Spirit. We are given the Spirit of God to preach the gospel. Our opportunities are a reason to be Spirit-filled. You will be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus said. So, there are three reasons to be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Obedience, obligations, opportunities. Let's, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the second thing here. Let's talk about the requirements for a Spirit-filled life. Now, remember, we established when we you know, bandied about with that, that funny Greek word, that be filled is, is in the passive voice. Means we're the ones being acted upon. We're not actually doing the filling ourselves. Okay, that's actually the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we enable ourselves to, to really fully allow the Holy Spirit to do that? Okay, four things. I should have just told you when I started the sermon, I should have just said, hey folks, we, all, we got a sermon today with, with one point. And 37 subpoints. <laughs> okay, there's not that many, but four subpoints here. Okay, the first one is this surrender your life to Christ. Surrender your life to Christ. Folks, as believers in Jesus, we must abandon our will, our intellect, our emotions, as well as our time and our talents and our treasures to God's control. Now, relinquishing to God's control, that means a proactive submission, okay? It doesn't mean waiting until God chastens us to obey. It means we do it willingly. Paul wrote to the Roman believers, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, saying to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, he says. Folks, you and I, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. So you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And basically, basically you're a temple with three rooms, okay? Those three rooms are body, soul, and spirit. The physical part of you, your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and the spirit, that which is God-breathed. A house with three rooms. But are there any rooms in your temple with signs over the door that say, Keep out, 
any part of your life that you have made off limits to God. It could be your personal life, it could be, you know, financial dealings, your career, it could be your sexual life, it could be your ambitions, it could be any number of things. But see, being filled with the Spirit means that there is someone who completely occupies your temple as you surrender your life to Him. So the first thing that we want to do is we want to surrender our lives to Christ. Here's the second thing. We must study the Word of Christ. Now there's a parallel passage to this one in Ephesians 5. We actually explored some of it two weeks ago. It's Colossians chapter 3. In verse 16 of Colossians 3 it says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Have you ever had something dwell in you richly? <laughs> I, uh, I think of um, Cold Stone Creamery, you know, maybe Marble Slab, um, any, any good frozen custard place. Yeah, the word actually means in abundance, okay? It means uh, to the utmost, to the extreme, or if you want to go way back to my youth, we would say to the max, to the max, man. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you to the max. What can I say? We were idiots. Um, slang comes and goes. Here's the thing. We should be so filled with the Word of Christ that when the world squeezes us, we ooze out Scripture. Do you desire a Spirit-filled life? Feed yourself a steady diet of the Word of God. So, we are first of all to surrender our lives to Christ. We study the Word of Christ. Here's the third one. We must stand in the presence of Christ. Now, in verse 18, Paul actually contrasts the person who's filled with wine with the one who's filled with the Spirit. Now, I think, you know, with regard to wine, we could expect probably expand that today to include any, any chemical substance that we would give control of our lives to. But he's contrasting the two. Someone who's controlled by wine, someone who's controlled by the Spirit. Well, the person who's always full of wine, what's he going to do? He wants to stay as close to the source of that wine as possible. Well, if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we need to stay as close to Jesus as possible. We need to be with Him. You recall John chapter 6, there's a passage where a lot of people who supposedly have been followers of Christ decide to abandon Him. They go off. And uh, Jesus gathers His apostles, and in verses 67 and 68, uh, He says, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. We stand in the presence of Christ, God the Son. James, the half-brother of Christ, in James chapter 4, verse 8, said, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. So do you know what it means to stand in the presence of Christ? Do you take time with Him every day, time to be holy, time to speak with the Lord? So we stand in the presence of Christ. Here's the fourth one. I call it supplication to the heart of Christ, supplication to the heart of Christ. In other words, we ask Him. We ask Him to fill us with His Spirit. 
Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We ask Him. Supplication to the heart of Christ. All right, so we've talked about the reasons to be Spirit-filled. We've talked about the requirements to be Spirit-filled. Let's talk about the third thing, the results of a Spirit-filled life. Now, I'm going to reread several of these verses. As I do, I want you to take note of all the ING words. All right? All the words that require us to, to do something. Okay, listen to this, beginning in verse 18. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of of Christ. You see, every one of these ING words, those are evidences of the Holy Spirit being at work in your life. Now, let's break those down just a little bit. Let's talk about the first one of those, speaking. Speaking, in other words, expressing God-given truth. The Bible talks about the first century church in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Speaking, expressing God-given truth. Uh, Psalm 107.2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So they're speaking there in verse 19. Also in verse 19 we see singing. I would describe that as expressing God-given joy. Singing. Now remember a couple of weeks back we, we established a working definition of worship. How worship was a recognition of, of who God is and an appropriate Response, a demonstration of, of awe or celebration or thankfulness or, or joy. Well, if we're filled with the Spirit, there is going to be a result. A result of adoration and thanksgiving and celebration and praise. Evidence of the love relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So our expressions of worship, those are a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit. Okay, so... Speaking, singing. Here's the third one. Sacrificing. Sacrifice. Look at what it says in, in verse uh, 20. Giving thanks always for everything. Man, if there's a time of year when we should understand that most fully, it should be this time of year. Giving thanks always to ev for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 19, we've already seen the sacrifice of praise. Here in verse 20, we're seeing a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Paul also wrote to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, to give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's another one of those things in the Bible that clearly spells out God's will, thanksgiving. So they're sacrificing, here's the fourth one, submitting, submitting, expressing God-given love. And we talked about submitting to one another out of the, the fear of Christ, out of reverence for Christ. But you see, we talked earlier about the relationship between husbands and wives and what all that submission meant 
But it's not just meant for husbands and wives. It's meant for the entire body of Christ. We submit to one another out of love. You know, it's, it's not a, a thing where we command one another. Again, it's not blind obedience. It's a voluntary attitude of cooperation. So I don't submit to you because of you, and you don't submit to me because of me. I mean, God, God forbid that I would ever say, well, I am Eric Chaffin, and you must submit to my authority. Uh, no. Please, no. Understand this, church. I am not one of those my way or the highway kind of guys. In fact, if I ever begin to lead that way, you, it's on the record, okay? This is being recorded, so you can always go back and, and review the tape. On the record, I'm stating, if I ever begin to lead that way, I give you my blessing to take me out behind the woodshed and open up a big old can of whooping on my behind. <laughs> That's not the kind of submission we're talking about. We submit to one another because of Jesus, an expression of love. But here's the thing. We can't submit to one another until we have first submitted to God's Holy Spirit. So there's speaking, there's singing, there's sacrificing, there's submitting. None of those would be possible without our surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, I read one of Max Lucado's books called The, the Applause of Heaven. Uh, a, a humorous story there he writes about taking his two daughters to SeaWorld one summer. Now his daughters are grown and have families of their own now. At the time, it was his daughters Jenna, who was five, and Andrea, who was three. They go to SeaWorld on a long, hot summer's day. It's exhausting. And the girls, toward the end of the day, they spot in the middle of the park a plastic ball pit. It's under this large you know, kind of a shaded pavilion. So it's a nice, cool place to, to finish out the day. And underneath this awning is a four-foot-deep pit of hollow plastic balls. And, and the width of it's more like a, a backyard pool. It is loaded with literally thousands and thousands of these plastic balls. Now, you know the kind I'm talking about, because if you're a parent or grandmother, a, grand, a grandparent or a parent, rather, you've probably taken your kids or grandkids at some point in time to Chuck E. Cheese. So you get it. Have you not, do they not have a Chuck E. Cheese in Texarkana? Okay, so you know then, you know that it is a crooked casino for kids. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You know, $50 worth of tokens and all you get is a plastic spider ring? No. But you know the, the plastic ball thing. Okay, lightweight balls. And in the center of the pit, there's this, this kind of a table thing with holes and jets of air shoot up through the holes. So what you do is, as a kid, you climb through the pit, you grab the balls, you take them to the table, place them over the balls, and whee, they fly up in the air. Fun for the whole family. Uh, so Jenna, the five-year-old, she gets into the pit. I mean, she dives in and she makes a beeline to the table in the center. But the three-year-old, Andrea, she struggles I mean, as, as soon as she takes one step into the pit, she fills her arms with the balls. Now, it's hard enough to wade through a four-foot-deep pit of plastic balls and get to the center using your arms for balance, much less having your arms full of these plastic balls. It's impossible to do with your arms full. So Andrea took a step, 
and she fell. And she, she kind of tried to wrestle her way back up without releasing the balls. Well, she couldn't. And so she begins to cry. So Max, he walks over to the edge of the pit, saying gently, Andrea, let go of the balls and you can walk. No, she screams, still clutching the plastic balls. And he patiently repeats himself, Andrea, if you let the balls go, you can walk. No! She takes two steps and she falls again. And now she's submerged somewhere underneath all these plastic balls. And so Max, he, he just kind of speaks to the general area where he saw her go down. And uh, this time a little bit firmer. Andrea, let go of the balls and you can walk. And he sees movement underneath the balls and he hears this muffled voice. No! Sorry, that was really loud. Actually, I did that on purpose just to make sure you're awake. And apparently you are. My apologies to your ears. So here's what Max does next. He sends in the older sister, Jenna. He said, Jenna, go take the balls away. Take the balls away from your sister. Help your sister. And he's getting more and more and more irritated at this point. You know, Andrea, let go of the balls and you can walk. You can get up. No! And he's thinking to himself, man, she's got exactly what she wants and she's going to hold on to it even if it kills her. Once more, Jenna, she goes in, tries to separate her little sister from the balls. Waves of balls begin to move underneath the surface as, as apparently there's mortal combat going on, on underneath these balls. And finally... The park assistant gives Max his permission to go into the pit and to rectify the situation. So he grabs one girl under each arm and he carries them to the center of the pit for the big wee moment. Here's the point I want you to get from this overly long, seemingly irrelevant story. God wants you to get to the center of his will. And just like those jets of air that create those wee moments, he wants you to be uplifted by his Holy Spirit. But maybe you can't get to the center of his will because there's parts of your life that you just won't let go of. Things that you won't surrender to his control. You're stuck in a plastic ball pit of your own desires. And you know what? Uh, just like Jenna and Andrea, there might be people in your life who are trying to rescue you from this, this cumbersome thing to, to help you become unbound and return to the center of God's will. And you keep saying, no! You are bound and determined to hang on even if it plunges you further into the pit. So let me ask you, do you feel like you're just kind of stumbling through the Christian life in darkness, unable to see what the Lord really wants to do in and through you? And let me tell you, He wants to do a lot. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to the power that is at work within us. You know what that power is? It's the power of His Holy Spirit. 
doing more than we can even ask or imagine, it says. And I don't know about y'all, I can imagine quite a bit. But there's some things we have to do in order for that to happen. We have to relinquish control of our lives if we want to be filled with the Spirit. There's an author named Ruth Harms Kalkin, and she really described this struggle very poetically in a, in a piece she wrote called Takeover. She said, At first, Lord, I asked you to take sides with me. With David, the psalmist, I circled and underlined, The Lord is for me. Maintain my rights, O Lord. Let me stand against my foes. But with all my pleading, I lay drenched in darkness until in utter confusion I cried, don't take sides, Lord, just take over. And suddenly it was morning. There's a, a phrase that's become common in our, our, our Christianese lexicon, and it's kind of a cliche, but it's often true. In this case, it's definitely true. But the saying is, let go and let God. And you hear people say that flippantly. Oh, you just need to let go and let God. But in this instance, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to let go of our lives, surrender that control to Him. Because a Spirit-filled life, that's one that's completely surrendered to the Lord's control. And as a result, will produce undeniable spiritual fruit. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, and you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.